Hello, I'm Alan Higgins, and you are listening to the Design Talk podcast. The following recording is a cross-pod release with The Blind Spot, a podcast created by Tina Lowe, Accessibility Officer at University College Dublin, Ireland. This episode was recorded on the 13th of December 2021. Welcome to The Blind Spot. I'm your host, Tina Lowe. This podcast looks to show everyone about making Ireland accessible for all. Hello everybody and you're all very welcome to the Blind Spot podcast. Today we have the honour and privilege of speaking with the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. We have three guests today. We have two in the Kingdom of Cork, Lane Kennedy and Tim O'Mahony, the Chief Executive Officer and Lane is the Advocacy and Policy Officer and in the studio we have Zita O'Brien, the a puppy walker who I personally know because Zita puppy walked my current guide dog first. So you're all extremely welcome. I'm delighted to have you today. We're going to chat about access to working dogs. So what I'll do to start the ball rolling is if I could ask you all to introduce yourself. So maybe if we kick off with Zita. Okay, my name is Zita and I'm married to uh, Pat O'Brien. I have one son, Colm, and I worked in admin most of my life, but about 14 years ago, I started doing voluntary work with the Irish Guide Dogs. Okay, and Tim? Hi, my name is Tim. Um, I'm the CEO of Guide Dogs. Um, I'm married to Mary. We have four kids. Um, I suppose my background is I'm a qualified accountant, and my early career was spent with... um, in it in the UK with uh, with Shell and Bechtel in the energy sector building power stations. Then I came back to Ireland, did an MBA, and it's probably there that the seed for the not for profits was first sown, where the where at class discussions around you know the motivation for people in different roles and commercial versus not for profit. Um, that stayed with me for for the following ten years, and then a family bereavement looked gave me an opportunity to consider a change of career. And then I applied for the role with uh, Guide Dogs in 2013, got the role, took on that role, was head of fundraising for a while, was the financial controller for Guide Dogs for a while, and the head of um, BIS and Lean before taking on this role three years ago. Very good. And Lane, you're very welcome. Thank you, Tina. I'm Lane Kennedy. I'm the Advocacy and Policy Officer with Irish Guide Dogs. I've been working with Irish Guide Dogs for a number of years, over 10 years. Um, and before that, I was working in community outreach um, in the arts sector, so working to promote the arts and make it more accessible and inviting to people from, to young people and people from disadvantaged areas around the country. Um, in my role in Guide Dogs, I've been involved in supporting and implementing several pieces of like areas to do a consultations on access and legislation and so on. So really kind of working to progress access and rights and so on for clients of Irish Guide Dogs. That's fantastic. Um, also vision impaired. Sorry, sorry. Thank That's, you, Tina. Yeah. And, but I can't forget, I I'm vision impaired as well. So yeah. I also oh, am the proud owner of my third yeah. Guide Dog, Higgins, who's a golden retriever and he's age seven. Exactly. And that's why you're, you're here with kind of two hats. You're here to talk about your work in the Irish Guide Dogs, but you're also here to talk as a proud Guide Dog owner. 
So before we start, I'll just give you a little bit of background information just from myself. I am also a guide dog owner and I'm on my third guide dog and his name is Forrest. And I got my first guide dog, Blake was his name, in um, 2000. And my background would have been that I lost my sight in my late 20s and I seriously spent my entire life, truthfully, terrified of dogs. To the point that I would run across roads, jump over walls, at the risk of getting knocked down, screaming, <laughs> tears. And it's quite funny because when I lost my sight initially, my sister, who's a very persuasive um, person, told me on numerous occasions when I was struggling with a cane, because obviously I'd had my sight, so a cane to me was not, you know, it was absolutely, it was so difficult. And I knew that there was cars parked on footpaths and so my sister came home one time and she said, Tina, you have to get a dog. And I said, I can't get a dog. I'm terrified of dogs. She said, I'm watching these people in town. Um, gliding is the word she used. Gliding <laughs> through the streets very ele- elegantly uh, with these amazing animals. And I was like, I can't because I'm terrified. And the other thing that was very ironic was that I knew a lady called um Joan Salmon, who was her sister, Marion, worked with my father years ago, and Aidan McKenna in memory computers, and Joan had diabetes. Joan is no longer with us, but she had numerous guide dogs, and she was a Paralympian equestrian um, champion. But the thing about Joan was um, she, like, I remember one of the times they brought, she brought her dog, Abby, to my house, and I was so afraid that I tore down the road, blind and all, and I kept telling people, I'm not blind, I'm going to get my sight back. But she also had this dog that was an amazing curly retriever. It was a cross golden retriever, um, Collie, it's called Smudge, and uh, it was an amazing dog. And I just, and then she walked every day, two hours each way, up to the equestrian centre to practice. So anyway, it it took a while um, for me, and then eventually I kind of thought, right, I have to get a dog, I can't walk. So the funny thing was, the first person who came to see me was Owen from the Guide Dogs. And he says to me, well, Tina, he said, how is Samba going to fit into this? Because I was in a Samba band. And I said, what do you mean? I said, sure, it's great. We're in the gaiety. (laughs) And he said, sorry, Tina, you can't have a Guide Dog when you play Samba. The dog wouldn't be able to tolerate the sound or whatever. So I said, okay, well, at that stage, it was the year 2000. I'd done my degree in UCD and I needed to get a dog. So I went down and I met Simon Higgs. And all I remember is that my mother and myself went and we were so afraid that, you know, that like in the cartoon comedy where you see the dog are dribbling, shaking. (laughs) That's the way I was. And I was like, I will. They're never going to give me a dog. But eventually I got the call and I tell you, I I have to say I've never looked back. So I'm now on dog number, fabulous number three. So on that point, I'm going to bring Zita in to tell us all about her role in life as a puppy walker. So, Hiya Tina. As Tina already said, I raised Forrest. But my first dog I got 14 years ago. And the reason we went and did puppy walking was because my son always wanted a dog. But because I worked full time, I said no. No, no way. I'm not leaving a dog in the house all day by itself. But eventually I started working part time from home. And Colin was saying, can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? So I turned around and said, well, I tell you what, I'd seen an advertisement or heard something about Irish guide dogs looking for puppy raisers or puppy walkers, as they were called then. And I said, I tell you what, we'll do this. 
and we'll give it a year and we'll see how it goes then after that and see how involved you are in raising the dog as well. So we got our um, first puppy, Denver, and he was absolutely gorgeous, a golden retriever like Lane's Higgins. And we just fell in love with them straight away. But my son Colm said, ma'am, at this stage he was 19. He said, I'd wait 19 years for you to get a dog. And now you say we give it back at the end of a year? So he wasn't very pleased at that, but anyhow, when it did come to giving poor Al Denver back, we were brokenhearted. So we said, we'll chance it again. So at this stage now, dog number 11 only went down to Cork in, um, when was that? in August. And she's doing really well down there now at the moment. I was talking to Rob and Sam there last week and they gave me a great report on them. But we had great fun. Now it's hard work. We get the puppy when they're about eight weeks old. So the excitement when the dog is coming is unbelievable. You have to puppy-proof your house, as I call it. You end up lifting out. You have quite a tidy house, actually, because you lift everything off the floor. Because anything on the floor is fair game. And, um, you know, you just keep things out of the way except the doggy toys and let them play. So we have to introduce them to everything basically we start puppy um puppy walking very very early in as far as we watch out for toilet training and we try and make sure that wherever we're going that they've piddled beforehand or whatever but in the very early stages we carry them believe it or not so they get used to noises so you actually go down to the bus stop as i say i'm going to play with the traffic and you bring the dog down with you and we have a great roundabout near where I live and there's buses and trucks and all kinds of things. So I usually go down there every morning with the puppy in my arms and then the school is across the way so you have children running by and screaming and shouting and the puppy hears all that in the safety of your arms. And then as they move along then a couple of weeks later you're get, bringing them in the car getting used to car journeys you have to bring them on the bus on the Lewis and you do it all very gradually you know just take it day every day is different so and it depends on even at home um you'd have the puppy in in nice and cozy in his crate or whatever we normally crate train them and they would um be nice and snug and you go around with your hoover your vacuum cleaner or the phone is ringing and the doorbell is going and the cooker is going and the dog gets accustomed. I usually have uh, the puppy in the kitchen living area. Right. So, so in the heart of the house. So they get used to the sounds. Yeah, exactly. And so you should tell me about the, because I, I know you now since um, I got first, because uh, it was a great thing. The guide dogs encouraged us. Um, I have first now nearly six years. And they encouraged us to contact the puppy, we puppy walkers, or, and it was brilliant because um, it introduced me to say what what is really involved in in these little very cute puppies that become working animals, and it also introduced me to to a whole network of puppy walkers. So tell me about your like. There's an amazing um, camaraderie, and and then you all kind of 
share and you know the the puppies I was going to say the babies the puppies yeah, well, the, have, like babies have to sleepovers yeah. and yeah we do amazing. that um, I've met an awful lot of people through guide dogs both visually impaired like Tina and also volunteers and the puppy raisers are just marvellous we we help one another an awful lot if somebody is going to a wedding I'll mind the puppy or they'll mind my puppy because it has to be catered for. It can't be left more than three or four hours. So, and we get together, we actually, if you have an older puppy and the younger puppy might be a bit nervous, say, getting on the bus, we'll organise a trip into town on the bus with the more confident dog. And we go to all sorts of places. We were in Chester Beatty Library there last week and just went in and had a wander around with dogs and sat outside and had a cup of coffee. So the dog is being socialised constantly. Yeah. yeah. And there's great people involved in it. I've, as I say, I've made great friends. Yeah. And then you, you do all say share, you, you go on walks. And yeah. Then the yeah, dogs have a bit of free run, you yeah. know, even yeah. occasionally. But you can see how the dogs as well are training the little dogs. Like they're leading the way, kind of teaching them. It's an amazing thing to, to watch. And for me, it's been brilliant because I have loads of, of puppy walker people who, who I can go walking with. And then I feel because I have such a giant dog that he's he's um he's he's always been trained. Yeah, you know? well, he has stayed I, with me, Tina, as you I know, know. <laughs> on occasion. I know, and yeah, I would have had yeah. puppies in the house. Yeah. And... Yeah. They yeah. have learned so much from Forrest. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's a total yeah. shepherd. Yeah, it? exactly. You yeah. know, he's and yeah. he'll put them in their place if yeah. they need to be put in their place. Yeah. And then they're so happy with the bigger dogs as well. They're not afraid of bigger dogs when they go out because they've played. Elaine, I'm going to bring you in here because if, if, I know you, I want to talk to you about your your guide dogs, and then if you can talk to us about your work in the guide dogs. Um, well, my story uh, starts off uh, a small bit like yours in that I was um, vision impaired for a number of years. I became vision impaired when I was a teenager and was coping quite uh, well up until having retinal detachments back in early, back in the mid-2002. And I was actually had completed college and was like, you know, like looking for jobs and so on and then just like over overnight think of an eye my, my sight was um progressively worse due to retinal detachments and you know had to go through surgery and, and so on and come out the the end of that needing to go to Irish guide dogs for long cane training and I was working um in the Cork Opera House at the time. So I went and had long cane training and really had great mobility with the the long cane for a number of years um used it for about three years then a role came up in irish guide dogs and i went for that and i was working in irish guide dogs um for almost a year um before i was even considering getting a guide dog and i was like speaking with with people who use the service of irish guide dogs every day and hearing all about their dogs and thinking you know, God, these people love their dogs. But, you know, I loved the cane. The cane, I was absolutely, had a great level of, of independence with it and it never would never have even been thinking about getting a guide dog. But I did have an incident one day. I was in town and collided with a ladder. It's just one of those situations that the, the long cane couldn't really protect me against. It collided with a ladder. 
absolutely knocked my confidence and made me feel a lot more hesitant about going out and about on my own. So I spoke to one of the instructors in Irish Guidebooks and had the conversation with them saying, look, you know, I know I work here and I'm speaking to, guide, to people at a guidebook every day. What can a guidebook do for me? And really had the understanding that it would be like having a set of eyes because they see the obstacles for you. So I went on to get a guide dog and my first guide dog, Murphy, was um, a German Shepherd cross with a golden retriever. Um, and he absolutely transformed my life, gave me the, the extra confidence to get out and about and to go and travel and to go here, there and everywhere around the country for meetings and so on for work. Um, and then he so I had a great, great relationship with him. And as does happen with the dogs, you know, he retired at the, the age of 10 and then went on to get my second guide dog. And he has since retired and I now at the moment have my amazing golden retriever Higgins um, who is a great worker um, you know like gets me around all the obstacles everything that comes my way um, where, wherever I am out and about um, and I have to say he loves getting treats for being a good boy so that, <laughs> that's what makes Damn, work. that makes his day he absolutely loves his food I have to say but in terms of work he's just you know he's just so focused and he's he's never never set me wrong or like or kind of like you know help me get I've never gotten lost or anything with him now I have to say he's absolutely brilliant he's a great decision maker like the difference between a guide dog and an assistance dog when people ask me I always say like an assistance dog is trained to be a safety aid for children with autism and a guide dog is is mobility aid for people who are blind vision impaired but there are times when the guide dog has to make decisions on its own and have the confidence and the initiative to do that you know if you encounter an obstacle on the pavement you know regardless of what your level of vision is it's very difficult for the owner to make that decision and to know how to get around the obstacle so the guide dog that's really where they step into their own and i have to say higgins is an amazing decision maker and you know, every time he gets me gets me around an obstacle or gets me on, on my way safely from A to B, um, I'm very happy to give him a treat at the end of the day, the day to say good boy. What I found with Higgins is that Higgins loves working. When the harness comes out, he just turns into a different dog. He's very different. Like there's pet dog Higgins and there's working dog Higgins, and like he, I have to say, he just loves it when the harness goes on, and he knows he goes out and he knows he's out to do do work. The biggest impact for myself is that I not, haven't been walking to and from work. I'm working from home um, a lot now because of the, the public health measures. Um, haven't had to travel as much because everything is happening online now as well. So from that point of view, um, his workload hasn't been as high as it would, would have been pre-COVID. So I think that has had a bit of an effect on him but in terms of his work in terms of his guiding work there hasn't been been an effect he's, he's still as he's still working as well as he ever did so from that point of view he's very very good but um i think we're all waiting for the time when we can just get back and just get back to being out and about and to be as active as we all were and then i know higgins will be very happy and really be coming back into his own again that is true like it's exactly the same with forrest that he is truly a working dog like he wants when I put that harness on him, he steps up a pace and he's like, come on, you know, he just wants to work. Like he likes, I don't think he really likes sitting around, actually. I think he's he's very highly kind of I'd motivated. Say high, yeah, but he's, he's much more, I think, I don't know if it's a German Shepherd thing. When I put the harness on him, like the speed, he steps up a pace. He's dying to go to the bus stop. 
every time we go to Shankill. And if I turn left, then he slows down slightly because it means shops and park, not work. You know, so it's amazing. Like they just want to work. Like so, Lane, could you talk to us about your work in the guide dogs and what it entails? And can you also tell us about the changes you've seen in Ireland culturally in relation to? access to working dogs and acceptance of working animals well my role my role as advocacy and policy officer is really really engaging with our clients and finding out what the issues that they are having on um, a daily basis and i'd look at those issues um every few months and just kind of see are there any trends happening like you know are people having more a higher number of issues in terms of the built environment getting out and about on street accessing um services accessing buildings that kind of thing and then kind of like I just kind of tackle those issues build a plan around those issues and look at what the areas are that I, I should be stepping into because really what I am is I'm, I'm an aid to our clients and I'm really acting as their voice so they give give us give me and obviously Irish guidance or direction in terms of where to take that that support and in terms of the policy side that would be keeping, I have to stay up on top of all public consultations that are happening there. And there is an awful lot of work that, that is involved in that. And just in making sure that we get our submissions in, in, in a timely place in terms of any government, governmental changes that might be happening in terms of policies and procedures. Um, so that would be the main, the, the main point of it is, is just like, like kind of filling in the gap. So like our services, we give people the mobility and the independence that we need. And my role is there to kind of just fill in the gap on anything that might be happening on a legislative level and a policy level, and also an awareness level as well. It's very important because having the, the procedures and the policies in place is one thing, but people need to know and they need to be aware of the rights of people with a guide dog. Um, you know, for instance, people, the people are often surprised or maybe surprised to know that you know, you and I, Tina, we can go to a hospital today. We can go visit our eye doctor today in a hospital with our guide dog. I always say to people, anywhere you can go with your shoes in a hospital, someone who's blind or vision impaired can go with their guide dog. So people often, it's because, you know, because they mightn't have met someone who's blind or vision impaired, it might be something that they mightn't really be aware of or know about. And in terms of all types of businesses, especially in the services sector, it's one thing having the having our rights in place and the the legislation being there and the framework being there, you know, that we have a complaint system to ensure that our rights are being enforced, whether it's through the Workplace Relations Commission or the other any other any other avenues that are available to us. Um, we need to ensure the awareness is there and we need to ensure that the, the awareness training is embedded in the, the the human resource policies and procedures of all services so anyone who's starting starting a job or currently in a role they should if they haven't been made aware of the rights of someone with a guide dog or through a, a disability awareness program and um, they should be and we're there to step in to give people the information they need yep and Lane, can you can in your opinion because i've known you for a good few years and i know you've been working in this area for a considerable amount of time do you think like this podcast that we're doing is all about trying to create a culture of awareness to make inclusivity and accessibility part of our national psyche and to try and make people realize that um apart from having equality legislation it's all about our culture and how we feel and how we include people. So do you think in your work in the Irish guide dogs do you see a change in the national 
psyche? Like, do you think we're more conscious of our legislation, that we're more conscious of the rights of people who have working dogs, guide dogs, assistance dogs? Like, do you do you see a, an improvement? Because I just know that years ago when I had Blake, um, I remember it was actually, sorry folks, but it was in Cork. <laughs> it was in a lovely place called Blarney that we used to go to with Blake. There was a fantastic hotel in Blarney and it was very connected to the guide dogs. And they had lots of, it wasn't in that hotel. It was in a very small small restaurant in the town of Blarney. And we were refused entry, right? So me being me and being uh, aware of my rights because of, probably because of my relations as well, who all work in the area, in law and EU and all that, I... You know, I said, no way, That's it doesn't happen. That is completely illegal. You can't refuse a guide dog. Um, so I was horrified. And I remember, like, it was the first time ever I was with my mother. This is years ago. And I was like, that is unreal. But we wrote to the restaurant. They apologised. But it was a really, it was such a shame. But that was years ago. And then recently, the guide dogs have set up a really good initiative called the Client Consultative committee which I'll talk to Tim about as well as all the other areas in the guide dogs and some of the comments from the guide dog owners have been which I was amazed at but obviously I'm a bit naive is that some restaurants are still refusing access to a guide dog and I'm thinking for God's sake like this is 2021 we're supposed to be aware and we have legislation in place but like, do you think, Lane, that it's changed for the good or do you think there are still pockets that we need to do awareness? I think an awful lot is is happening in terms that there's been an awful lot of talk about the UNCRPD since we ratified it there in 2018. So people are much more aware of, you know, the broad the broader movement we're going towards, not just in terms of legislation, but also culturally and that people with disabilities, we should be getting the same treatment as everyone else and sometimes people mightn't really understand what does that mean like we need to be able to and should be able to access everything at the same point and the same place and the same time as everyone else there shouldn't be any any difference in the services that we get or the treatment that we get um in terms of people getting out and about with the help of a guide dog or an assistance dog it's really people understanding that the dogs they're highly dependable they're trained, like, you know, when you think of a guide dog, they're, they are a mobility aid. What other mobility aids are out there? Wheelchairs, um, people using walking canes, people using um, mobility scooters, all of that. We have to kind of, because when people see the dog, the dogs are so, they're so attractive and they're so cuddly and they're so friendly and sociable that sometimes people don't, mightn't be looking at it from the technical side that this is a highly trained, reliable, dependable, hygienic, and working, working mobility aid. Um, and the fact that they're cute and cuddly is a bonus. <laughs> it's a distraction sometimes. Yeah. 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 That's true. But That's I very think... true. And they have high and standards. Really... Like yeah. we, we, yeah. we as owners have to maintain those high standards as well. That's really true, isn't it? Yeah. You know, your dog is very well yeah. kept, very well groomed. Yes, and they're brought, brought to the vet very, very regularly and yeah, they get all their, all their treatment, the, yeah. the flea and the tr- treatment. And all of this is all of these standards we we agree to and we commit to through the Department of Health and also through the, our international support agencies, the Assistance Dog International and the International Guide Dog Federation. 
and all people people that we train with a guiding and assistance dog are trained and given the guidance they need to upkeep the those standards and then ye and they hand in the reports back to us so we can oversee and stand over the, the standard of the, the dogs that we put out there and ensure that the partnerships are kept. But in terms of awareness and so the the awareness is there and it's good and I do think it's the, the UNICER CRPD is has been a big benefit because it's been in it's, it's been a lot in the media has put a good focus on it but there are many elements to the UNCPD um, for that to be implemented and all through the EU member states um, we're going to be like we're along with the other member states signing up to getting a, a disability card implemented that m might be rolled out in 2023 so people with disabilities will have a, a, a formal EU disability card showing they have a disability and that they have the right to have access and it'll, it'll help um, in terms of like travel and accessing services and so on. So there will be not just our own national remit that's happening here in, in Ireland, we'll be working alongside the other EU member states. And that's one element. We also have the accessibility, the EU Accessibility Act, and that has really made a big difference in terms of you know, online banking and other types of services that are that are happening and enforcing standards and making sure that people with disabilities are are included and consulted with in all in all of those aspects. Um, and also we have our own Disability Act, which is put the remit on our own public body to make sure that the information and services and buildings are accessible. And obviously we have the well-known Equal Status Act. Um, which really would be the first piece of legislation that would have incorporated an understanding of what is access for someone with a guide dog or an assistance dog because under any complaints that were made as in claims of discrimination taken to what would have been the equality tribunal at the time it's now the workplace relations commission because that change was made in 2014 those deciding equality officers over any claims of discrimination that were made clearly said someone with a guide dog is allowed and should be allowed access to all businesses and services including food businesses not only because we shouldn't be treated as favorably than anyone else but also the dogs are exempt from from any hiding regulations or, or any kind of like restrictions that would that, that could have been precluding someone getting out and about with a fully trained working guide dog so in terms of that piece it's there in terms of people's understanding um it is good. I'll give you. I'll bring you back to my own example because I think it's quite good in in relation to what to the examples you were giving, Tina. I have only had two access issues myself with my guide dog, and they both happened in the first year of myself having my guide dog Murphy. Now Murphy is a big black, you know, like like forest formidable guide dog with the with the friendliest floppy ears of all time. I have to say, but you know, um. I went to went to a restaurant. I was there with friends and family. Got to the door, and this is back in 2005. So we're talking a good few years back. Got to the door of a restaurant with um, my mom, and my sister, and the waiter came straight away and said, "Nope, no dogs, no dogs, no dogs." Before I could even open my mouth and advocate for myself and say and explain to the person, "No, I am allowed in," um, and also, you know, here here's where you go to get information on it. A group of customers that were sitting at a table near the door stood up and said, "We're not going to pay for a meal if you don't let that girl, that, that girl in." 
So that kind of gives you an example of awareness and the understanding and the cultural. I didn't even get to speak up for myself. Other people did it for me. <laughs> so I, the, the waiter let us sit in then and you know ha- had my meal and so on. Um, my second my second time was at um, another bar slash restaurant. Um, I'd say kind of like a year or two after that, and I followed through the complaint through the the complaint the claims discrimin- to the complaint system with at the time the Equality Tribunal. And the the business owner actually wrote back to me and said, "Look, thank you for picking this up and apologised and said he clearly just wasn't wasn't aware aware of of the rules and the and the fact he wasn't committing any offence by letting myself and my guide dog in." And he said, "Since then, he's had people come in with a guide dog, and he's very happy to know that he's he's not going to be causing an offence and discrimination to anyone else." So it is always good. Like sometimes we do always encourage people do speak up, speak up yourself. You know, if you have an issue. Um, don't let it just don't don't just let it go because often it's so upsetting and can be really like affect your confidence that you might just I think oh look it's easy I won't bother fighting it I'll, I'll let it go but when you do but it is good to to pick it up and create the awareness because you're making it easier for other people to get out and about with a guide dog and I'll finish on this piece and um, just because it is important um in terms of understanding for people for the public out there people mightn't be thinking you know like about keeping pavements clear like the pedestrian pavement is absolutely essential to anyone who's blind or vision very getting out and about with their guide dog or with their long cane and we need to have the pavements kept clear so really we can't strongly say it enough think before you park do not park up on the pavement think before you put your household wheelie bin out put it in by the gate Say to your bin provider, if you find your bin provi- provider is emptying the bin and putting it back out in the middle of the pavement, make sure they put it back in. And do think about your hedges as well. Make sure they're not overgrowing on the pavements. Because when that happens, someone who's blind or vision impaired, we're forced out into the road in the middle of traffic that we can't see. It's noisy. It's really disorientation and it's really, really scary. Um, so we, those are kind of the kinds of types of cultural understanding that we really would like people to to work on and to embed into their own own daily activities, so that they they know just to be aware of it. But no, number two, you're really helping people of blind vision impaired in a massive way by keeping the pavement clear. Well, well said, Lynn. I have to say that was so informative. So, and I will say on that point that since my early, very early incidences with my first guide dog, I would say that I see huge change especially in transport. Massive change for the positive. Dublin bus are just amazing. And their staff are trained and their accessibility officer is amazing. So plus their travel assistance program. So on that positive note, Tim, I'd like to bring you in now to tell us all about how you ended up as the chief executive officer and how you run that fantastic organization, the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. Thanks, Tina. Um I suppose, look, I'd mentioned I joined in 2013 in a finance role. Uh, it was a good opportunity to join. And very quickly, I suppose, I got to, to f- join the senior management team in covering the financial controller, then did some time at the, as the head of fundraising before setting in the senior management team and, and continuous improvement in lean. So I got to see a lot of the charity from different views at that time. Um, I suppose that complemented my my own experience, my previous experience of operations to bring things together. And since 2018, I've been the general manager and now the CEO of the charity. So it's very good. Uh, I get to, I suppose I get to use the skills I've collected in my 
early career to help ensure what is a very complex production plan of, you know, is supports clients and work with the staff and with volunteers like Zeta to ensure we can do that. Um, I suppose the job for us is to keep improving each aspect of our services and, and how we deliver and keep, keep improving and the supports we provide to the partnerships and clients such as yourself and Lane and other clients. And Tim, talk to us about your, I know you have lots of ideas and you've, to, you've told us some of them in the Client Consultative Committee, but talk to us about what your kind of, your plan and your ambitions to, to change things and how, you know, to improve the service. One of the key things is, is we, we're always looking to minimise the waiting times for our clients, okay? So we look at, that's a key measure for, for us to look at, the number of people waiting at the different stages of the service provision. So we look to, we look to or there's a focus from the management team and the leadership team to, to, to ensure we're moving people along. It's a key thing, Tina, is to bring what is a very complex production plan which lasts over two years from a decision to breed a pup to what teen, what zeta does in puppy racing to when they come in for training to when they go for clients go go with clients such as yourself to ensure that all works well and is well aligned that that there's no huge there's no huge delays at any at different parts so it's it's always challenging to have enough pups it's challenging to have enough um training capacity, enough volunteers to carry those pups. And so they're, they're the key challenges. So we're, we're, we use a methodology of lean, which helps us to look at our processes and to continually focus, focus on how we make those processes better. Um, so that's, that's the journey. That's part of the journey. And talk to me about the changes that, say, you implemented, some changes during the pandemic. I know that there were some very positive changes in kenneling the the dogs were fostered say at weekends or is that the right word fostered they, they went out tina they went out on tim Holmes. i suppose march 17th last year we had to we were faced with what was going to be our first lockdown and then so we put our dogs into tim Holmes. and they, when they went out to tim Holmes, they stayed there for the first for, for the next while until we came back in may but we then our dogs stayed in the tim Holmes overnight they came into the center for their work and then went back home at night to some of the Tim homes. And we found that the stress of those dogs was reduced. So it was very positive. So um, the other pieces, we, we've had to support puppy raisers such as Zeta on a virtual basis are a combination of a virtual and a face-to-face basis. Okay. Someone like Zeta has huge experience and has, has done 11 pups for us. So Comparing someone like Zeta to someone who's a first-time puppy raising volunteer, we have to look at it in a different way to say, how can we virtually support during the lockdown? And we looked at ways, videos, greater online, you know, puppy classes. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of, a lot of work done. And I suppose historically, we hadn't used much technology to help us. Before, prior to March 30th last year, I'd never been on a, video call for anyone with guide dogs now 90 percent of the calls are are done through zoom or microsoft teams okay so there's a uh, look and, and what we've learned there has been good and bad 
right? The bad, of course, is the morale and trying to keep everyone together and focused on on what supports for clients and outputs for clients. And really, it's it's difficult times as we're all socially distant. But the goods are the good things are we're probably more efficient with certain benefits of technology in retrospect. Sorry for interrupting you there now, Tim. I had one of the best telephone calls last week from Sam and uh, Rob. Rob was um, working IVA in uh, Cork City Centre and Sam was walking behind him videoing the, um, the lesson, should I say, or whatever. And that brought to me what technology was doing. It was only the second time out of 11 puppies, it was only the second time that I would have seen one working. You know, I went down the first time with Denver and Nadine, I, myself and my husband, we were in Balancholic and uh, she wouldn't let me see Denver beforehand. She said, no, stay where you are, hide, don't let him see it. And she walked up and down the street. We were diving in and out of shops, having a look and seeing how he was working and it was fantastic. But it was equally great last week when Sam rang me and said, Zita, can you video? You know, can you look? Can you take a call now at the minute? And he followed. And it was just amazing to see how the technology worked, how well my little puppy was doing. Now she was nearly there. And hopefully she'll be going out in class now in the new year. But it was just great to see how technology had moved on, you know. That's a great example. And and I think that's, Prior to the pandemic, we wouldn't have considered that as an option to show you, as a method to show you. And I think, like the other thing, we have a pilot scheme running for puppy raising in Donegal right now, which which wouldn't wouldn't have fitted well. You know, we wouldn't have prior to the pandemic, but now we can virtually support and complement with face to face visits. You know, so we have, in in some respects, it's opening up the rest of the country for us to where we can have volunteers carrying our pups so it's very positive Tim I know that uh, we've been talking a lot about guide dogs because obviously Lane and myself are guide dog owners and Zeta raises the dogs but you also raise the dogs to be assistance dogs and that's an amazing program that began in the guide dogs a, a number of years ago so can you talk to us about that because I know it's it's not only involving the one person but it involves bringing the family it did to the centre and it's a very um it's an amazing thing when you see it. I've seen um, children in supermarkets and there's a lady who lives very near me. And the diff- every time she sees me, she comes up to tell me that her life has changed completely because she can now go everywhere with her child with autism, with her guide dog or with the assistance dog, sorry. And so I just want just talk to us about like, I know it's a huge emotional thing as well, that the fa- whole family get involved and that they have a new way of living thanks to having an assistance dog. So talk to us about that, because I know it involves a lot. Yes, it's it's a similar, I suppose, a similar to the guide dog service in that it makes a huge difference to the family and the client's life. I suppose it's dissimilar in that they get, there's one one dog, and then that when that dog retires, it's the end of the, the service version, whereas a guide dog client would, would get successor dogs. I suppose it's been, it's a service we've introduced 12, 14 years back now, right? And it's grown very steadily because the demand, because of the levels of ASD in the country is massive, right? Right up to the stage where we've just opened our list again in the last, in the middle of November. And we very proud to say we've accepted 85 people onto that list. And we sent 
um, as a matter of interest, we sent out the acceptance and the notifications on Friday. And just this morning, I've been opening a few, you know, responses from from families who've been accepted, and they're just blown away. We're getting comments like, "We've made our Christmas. We've made. We we're opening up a future potential for them." And so everyone involved with us has now got to. It gets to help more people really have fantastic gifts of our dogs to support their lives right so it's it's fantastic and uh, you know so it's we we split the services i suppose the services are a bit split in that dogs when they come in for training they can either go on to the the ad program or the gd program right and depending then on where the dog is most suited that's where they're directed and but the demand of course is is great on the ad program and it's it's strong also on the guide dog program. So that keeps us very active and, and focused in in Cork to ensure we, we put our dogs through as quickly as possible. When I think of the guide dog centre, I've gone down now, say, three times. First time was to the different, the first building in like the old farmhouse. And uh, what I would always say to people is it's it's an amazing job because it's not just going down to an office or a building where there are dogs and trainers. You're going down to like housekeepers, a chef, um, bedrooms, everything. You know, it, it's like you live there. And some people say to me, I know that I know one guide dog owner had his dog trained from home this year. Or uh, it was his sixth or seventh dog in um, Mayo. And I know him because he works with my friend for years and so he said it was great, but I said, you know, the part I really like about getting the guide dog is actually going to Cork because you live there for two weeks. It's very intensive. Um, you know, you hit the wall. It's like doing a marathon. You have everybody involved in telling you how to learn, how to work the dog, every single person. Um, you have uh, the Hoovers <laughs> that they're terrified of. You have, but the, it's just amazing. And the hospitality and that you're looked after so well, you have, you know, you're fed, you know, I, like I really enjoy it and I enjoy being, being down there because for me it's like you get a total break, you go to Cork, you get to walk around Cork City which is really nice because it has loads of lovely accessible streets and, you know, so, but it's a hugely emotional job I would imagine because you're not just dealing with getting a dog, you're dealing with people's, I'd say, massive changes in their life and drama and a lot of emotions and I know it's a very emotional job for all the staff involved and like how do you manage that? To be honest with you Tina what you're just saying reminds me of how much we enjoy our our jobs right because um, that's one of the things we've lost since the pandemic struck we've lost the class graduations right the class graduations were where when you finish your training we all get we got the staff the clients and in recent times the puppy raising volunteers into the room and we had a small a, a mini celebration where we had a lunch right and and that allowed us to reflect on the contribution of everyone involved in the charity to delivery and enjoy the moment of you know celebrate the end of that stage where our services go on to the kind of the partnership stage and I, and I and it's the one thing I it is something I truly miss because you know that it that really focuses the mind for everyone as to why our jobs. You know we need to put the focus into them to make sure we we are doing this. But and it's so rewarding, Tina, to 
to enjoy that um, as a group. And and I know you mentioned the housekeeping staff. Yeah, I know the housekeeping staff are fantastic. The dog pillar staff are fantastic. The training team, the instructors, they all do a fantastic job in ensuring the service delivery uh, has happened. And I mean, domiciliary, the last two years, Tina, our outputs have grown. That's which is amazing. So many people have contributed. And the only way we could achieve that is through a great focus. And the team on the ground delivered that. Okay, everyone, every one of our volunteers, everyone supporting us, puppy raisers such as Zeta and even our clients. And you mentioned the client consultative committee. They're working with them. Now we're getting even closer to clients. Now we're hearing firsthand directly from the subcommittee made up of yourself and other clients what is what you want. And so we as I, I as head of the executive can focus the charity to, to to respond, if you know what I mean. Because but it's invaluable for me to get that feedback from our clients and to know what's what's being sought. So that we can because we can make changes and, and they can be slight or they can be meaningful significant changes but we can certainly that feedback loop is invaluable to us it's been fantastic talking to the three of you today and um it's it's such a well it's obviously very close to my heart but it's changed my life um i like i i cannot function without the dog that's the truth i don't want to either but it's amazing how many doors it opens for you and because i have as as Lane's original dog Murphy, I remember Murphy because that was when I had only just about overcome my terror of dogs, and I remember seeing Murphy going, "Oh my god," and I'd say Forrest is the same, you know. It was like, "Oh my god," and he was an amazing dog, beautiful, Rick Goodley. But Forrest has opened every door you go, like because he is quite different looking. Um, you just have to talk to everyone. I sat in the park on Saturday for two hours on a bench with my friend and every single person walking past. Oh my God, what is he? You know, <laughs> what is he? What is it? You know, so it is amazing. And I have to say thank you very much to the three of you today for a fantastic chat. And I'm going to finish now by asking you what we ask everybody. Since the show is called The Blind Spot, Zeta, what is your blind spot? And I've never been asked that before. <laughs> I suppose my blind spot is doing what we're doing now, being able to talk to people and put myself out there and um, discuss things in public, especially I would love to be able to speak more uh, naturally, I suppose it is, about even, say, guide dogs, and not only guide dogs, but just speak in public generally. I'd say that's my blind spot. But having said that, uh, what has kept me, I know I'm moving away from it a little bit, involved in um, volunteering with the dogs and raising the puppies and being heartbroken when they go down because every single one of them, you're, you're brokenhearted after they leave. But it's meeting Tina later on afterwards and seeing the difference that Forrest has made in their lives or... Another, another assistance dog that I reared as well. And just seeing the difference it makes in all the, all the families. And that's what keeps me going and keeps me doing it again, to think of the big picture. And Tim, what's your blind spot? Sita, you put it very well, the big picture. And, and keeping an eye on the big picture is, is, is a critical thing for me. 
because you know sometimes it's it, it's a challenge you, you have to change and the culture has to change and people's approaches have to change so that we can ensure we deliver for clients and make the most efficient use of what we have in the charity and bring everyone together so i suppose at times my my blind spot is 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 willing is keep pushing too hard i push i push on relentlessly because i think there's prize at the end of it is 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 uh, uh, reduced waiting times and more happy clients getting our services and i think that's that's that could be seen either way um as a good and our our uh, it's challenging but we you know we want to keep keep progressing and once the measure is positive we are we're getting there and once everyone is happy and our clients are happy we are progressing and Lane my blind spot I, I think I've gotten better at it but um it, it would be accepting help from people um when 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 I was in my 20s and just dealing with my, my eyesight getting pro- progressively worse I found it hard to to do that from the point of view of just like uh, accepting my my disability and I just accepting that I do need help from people from time to time and that people do mean well and it's good to accept it when it when it's offered so an example i can give you now um is when people always uh, like offer to keep the door open for you whether you're going through through your post office or wherever wherever it is you're going and my my initial reaction is always like no no i i can do this i can do this but now i just go no thank you and, and i go to and let my guide dog guide me guide me through and i know um it, it's good to kind of share share the help because we all need to accept help from people no matter what no matter who we are or what we're going what we're dealing with in our lives and whether you disability or not we all need to learn and to accept help from people from time to time and that it is a good thing and that's been my blind spot but i'm much better at it now that's fantastic so thank you very much it's been a fantastic conversation you're welcome thanks bye tina thanks thanks for listening to the blind spot if you enjoyed this episode please like and subscribe until next time on the blind spot the blind spot podcast was funded under the university for all faculty partner program and developed with the support of the ucd college of business and ucd access and lifelong learning